we've been in a series. The past two titles have been Faith to Wait, Faith to Stand. Tonight's title is Faith to Leave, which I guarantee you has never been a sermon title at any point. It's kind of risky doing a sermon title Faith to Leave because of all of the possible things that that might, that that might be interpreted as. And it's not faith to leave your job, leave the church, leave your spouse, okay? We'll see what it's about here in a little bit, but we've been on this series about growing in faith. Paul said this in encouragement to a church in Thessalonica, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. He tells the church in encouragement, he says that your faith is growing abundantly, and the love that you have for one another is increasing. And so in this verse, we see that faith is something that can grow. It's not just something static or stagnant, but it's something that's dynamic. It can grow. And last week, I mentioned that part of the why behind growing in faith is because I don't want there to be uh, any plan or purpose that God has for my life that I didn't step into because of doubt unbelief, or small faith. I want to fulfill all God's plans and purposes in my life, and so I want to continue to grow in faith, continue to grow in my trust and reliance on Him. And that is a true why, but that is only half of the pie, okay? The other half is what we're going to be looking at tonight. And another important why in growing in faith is so that you can leave a legacy of faith, And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, is leaving a legacy of faith, leaving an inheritance. Proverbs 13, verse 22 says it like this, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. There's a principle here that a good man, good woman, leaves an inheritance for their children. Although that applies to financial and material inheritance, it also applies to an inheritance in faith. And I remember there was this point in my life, it was about nine years ago, I'm sitting in my backyard on Hill Street. We had a house on Hill Street in Durant. I'm sitting in my backyard and I was talking with a a friend of mine, uh, Pastor Zach Backus. And at this time, we're not Pastor Austin, Pastor Zach, we're just Austin and Zach. And we're, we're hanging out in the backyard. And we would do this often and we would share. This was back when we only had one kid apiece. So we could do, you know, whatever we wanted to. We could ride in the same car together uh, if we wanted to, which that ship has sailed a long time ago. They have five? Yeah, we have four. So we could put a basketball team together, but uh, not ride in the same car. We'd have to get a bus for away games. Um, but we're sitting in my, my backyard and we would just share what God was doing in our hearts and what he was saying to us. And I remember distinctly this one point about nine years ago, um, conveying to him that if it came down to leaving a legacy or leaving a, a heritage, an inheritance financially, or leaving an inheritance of faith, I'm taking faith. And it was at a point in my life whenever I sensed the Lord 
leading me to make a significant life decision that would put me in a different, uh, a different career path than what I had been on up to that point. I was still working at a bank and I was in banking and I had this, this vision for what I wanted to do. And within that vision, I had all the control. Um, I was able to make the things that I wanted to happen, happen on my own. And I sensed the Lord calling an audible on that. And one of the things that I had to wrestle with on that decision was the financial implications for me and my family in making that decision. And I remember this, this conversation distinctly on that, that night of saying, not that it has to be mutually exclusive, but if it came down to it, if the Lord called me to do something that would sacrifice my, uh, my quality of life or my income level, whatever, if he called me to do that, and I said yes, and it enabled me to leave a better financial legacy for my, my children, versus if I said no because, uh, because of fear or whatever, then I would not leave the legacy of faith to my children that the Lord had desired for me to do. And so I remember that conversation of, if it came down to it, I want to leave no matter what, I want to leave a legacy of faith to my kids. Whatever happens along the way, the Lord will provide and he'll be faithful. Um, And he has been. And so this concept of leaving a legacy of faith is is core to me. And we've been following the story of Elijah as we've been talking about growing in faith and Elijah as this example and this model of great faith. And despite all of the awesome exploits that he did, all of the mighty signs and wonders, one of the things that sticks out to me the most is that his ministry didn't end with him. Uh, He left uh, an inheritance of faith. And his, uh, his ministry got handed over to Elisha and the work continued and it was built upon. And that has always resonated with me. And so tonight when we go to Elijah, and we pick this story back up, it's going to be through the framework of him leaving an inheritance and a legacy to Elisha. So we're going to be in the last part of Elijah's story, which is 2 Kings chapter 2. And I'm going to read, you know, not a ton, but 14 verses. Um, So I want to read this all together, as opposed to just kind of popcorn, like popcorning is that a word? Popcorning? It is now, okay? As opposed to just popping in and out of the story uh, and, and giving the references, I'm just going to read the whole thing. That way I can just reference it as we go. So this is 2 Kings chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 14. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha, two different people, okay? If I can get through this message with saying the right name every time, that in and of itself will be a miracle, okay? Little cheat code here, life hack. If you're trying to remember who's who, think alphabetically, okay? Elijah, the J comes before the S, okay? That's how I've always remembered it. So I have little ways to remember people's names, including people in the congregation. Uh, So anyway, don't worry about that. 
Don't ask me later what, what the trick is to remember yours. Okay. Uh, and Elijah said to Elisha, uh, or Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. And Elijah said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord is going to take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. For the two of them went on. 50 of the men of the sons of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. They were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took up his cloak or mantle in some translations and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You've asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you, did, if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, where is the Lord Yahweh, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. And Elisha went over. So this is the story that we're going to be in tonight. And this is a somewhat well-known story. Since I've started uh, preparing for this message, I have not been able to get the song Chariots of Fire out of my head. Um, And so I've just been kind of walking around in slow motion, singing the song in my head. For those of you who know the movie reference, great. If not, it's okay. Um, but you have, you have the chariots of fire, the whirlwind. You have this concept of the mantle being passed over or the cloak being passed over. And then you also have this concept of the, the double portion being given. And uh, the double portion, if I was preaching about Elisha tonight, I would be talking about how to receive a double portion. But since we're talking about Elijah, we're going to be looking at how to give a double portion. And this is where I want to start is with this concept of the double portion and what's happening here. Because this can seem like a pretty entitled request, okay? You're going along and 
the guy who you've been serving, who you're hoping to get his job whenever he retires. You know what I'm saying? And you're just like, man, just any day, just retire, just retire, because I'm coming. And it can seem like that could be what's happening here. And he comes and he asks for a double portion. And it could come across as entitled. It could come across as, I'm wanting to outdo you. I'm wanting to do better, do more. I want more power than what you had. That's how it could come across. But there's, there's something deeper going on here. So the concept of the double portion is introduced to us in Deuteronomy 21, verse 17. And it's whenever in the law, they're going over the laws concerning inheritances. And the double portion was what was reserved for the father to give the firstborn son. And so Elijah's, or Elisha's, say I already messed up, Elisha's request here, and this is, if you don't get anything else out of tonight, this is, this is key right here, okay? Elisha's request is not for more power to outdo him, to be better than him. Elisha's request is for a father. His request is for a father's blessing. What could come across as entitled is him reaching out and asking for a father's blessing. So this may be true, or this may be said of every generation, but I know it's been said of the current generation, is that, man, these people are entitled. Like, this is just the most entitled generation, and there's some truth to that, for sure. Um, But we also live in the most fatherless generation. And I also want to say this before moving on, that the, the whole premise of it being a fatherless generation can provoke a lot of strong emotions in you. It could be shame, it could be regret, it could be sorrow because of the loss of of a father. So I just want to acknowledge that and say that uh, that could be happening. You could be experiencing those, but I feel, I believe that God has something for you today, Um, that he still wants to speak something to you and show you something tonight, despite uh, what may be a triggering subject for you. So we live in the most entitled generation as well as the most fatherless generation. So though there is some genuine entitlement, what if what you're seeing at the surface as entitlement is the request for fathers? Is the cry for a father's blessing, for fathers and mothers, people that can mentor, that people that can pour into you to be present, in their lives. We live in uh, the most fatherless generation in American history in which our fathers didn't die due to war. I could give you statistics. They're staggering. It's, it's one of the most significant issues that we face as a society. And what we see here in this exchange between Elijah and Elisha 
is this request for a father's blessing and an inheritance. And so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. And often when we hear this story, we're thinking just in terms of how do we receive a mantle? How do we receive this anointing or how do we receive a double portion? But it's also ours to look at this and ask the question of what does it look like to give? What does it look like to pour into, to leave an inheritance of faith? So we're going to look at a few ways that we can leave an inheritance of faith. And the first one is we have to think generationally. We have to think generationally. This is one of the core values of our church, that when we think through decision-making, we don't want to just think about ourselves right now, but we want to think about the implications of the decisions to generations. Um, When it comes to faith, We need to desire to grow in faith, not just for our own benefit, but for the implications that it means for other generations. One of the things that will will hinder thinking generationally or hinder thinking in terms of uh, growth and being able to leave an inheritance is a poverty mentality. So I'll start with a poverty mentality in, in the natural because it's, it's going to be a little easier to, uh, to grasp first. So whenever you're in poverty and you're living um, at or below poverty level and you're living paycheck to paycheck, it's really difficult to think long-term legacy because you're thinking about how do I afford to fix my car so that I can go to work, so that I can pay the bills, so that I can put food on the table? And that's like your, that's the extent of, of your vision is I have to think in the immediate, the right now, because things are, are uh, rocky. And whenever you're traversing rocky terrain, you have to become increasingly narrow-sighted. So whenever I go mountain climbing, whenever I'm on smooth terrain, I get to walk and look up and just enjoy the whole scene. Uh, Whenever I get on really rocky or sketchy terrain, I only am paying attention to my next step. Whenever you're, you're living life and it's everything is rocky and unstable, then you become very nearsighted. And it's just, what's the next thing that we have to do? And because of that, you rarely stop to think, what kind of legacy do I want to live? Or what kind of legacy do I want to leave for my children or for the people that I love? The same thing happens in faith. Is whenever we're going uh, paycheck to paycheck, so to speak, whenever we're going miracle to miracle, miracles are awesome. I love them, okay? I'm very thankful for them in my life. But when you're having to go from miracle to miracle to miracle, uh, you're not learning how to walk in blessing. Okay? So I'll give it, uh, that didn't seem to land, so I'll give you an example. If, if in my marriage, this is my wife, by the way, Abby, uh, she is, she's definitely the better half. We all know it. I don't have to explain it. Um, but if in our marriage, 
the health or the, the stability of our marriage is constantly reliant upon a miracle, um, then, then that's a sign that that's not how it should be, that we need to learn how to navigate marriage in a healthy way if we're constantly relying on uh, God to come out and rescue my wife out of all of her wrongdoing. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, no, but the same thing in faith. Whenever, whenever we're living uh, from crisis to crisis in faith, it's very difficult, not impossible, but it's difficult to rise above that and look up and ask the question of what kind of legacy or heritage do I want to leave for my children and their children or for the people in my life group or the people that I lead? Because you're, you're just focusing on the next immediate thing and you're living in this state of cr- chronic stress. And the more stressed you are, the more narrow-sighted you become. Okay, so we have to think generationally and acknowledge the fact that at, for those in faith, for those in Christ, you have inher- you're an heir to the promise. There is, there is no lack. And that's when I talk about the poverty mentality, it's a mentality of lack of there never being enough. For those in Christ, there is enough. There is enough. And so we're not going to live with a poverty mentality in our faith. We're also not going to live self-centered lives because that's another thing that's going to prevent us or hinder us from thinking generationally is when we just think about ourselves. And whenever, I mean, you can have, so let me back up a little bit. When I was younger, I won't project it on you. I'll just tell you my story. Uh, when I was a young man, um, but no, when, when I was younger and these awesome things would happen and I would see God move in my life, I processed it differently than I do now. At that time, it would be like, man, God just did something amazing and awesome and I want to share with my friends and it's building me up and it's growing me. And then there comes a point in life when you realize all of the things that you're going after aren't for your sake. So like in the natural, there comes a point in the first half of life, which isn't a set age or, uh, or like season. It's just your first half of life can be defined as the, the period of time that you are trying to uh, build your own life for yourself. And all of the, the things that you're seeking after, um, the career, the, all of that, you're just focused on, uh, I want to, to be able, these are my desires, I want to go do this so that I can have this kind of life, so that I can, whatever. Um, there comes a point whenever you realize that all of those things that you've pursued, the education, the careers, the uh, the adventures with God, all of those things aren't just for you. And you realize that whether it's children, whether it's people in your life that you're pouring into and developing, and 
when I'm going to talk about children, it's not just natural children. Children in the faith as well. There comes this point where you realize all of the things that I thought I was after for these reasons are actually not for me at all. Um, now there's this shift to where I'm starting to think about not w- what my life wants to look like now, but what I want to leave behind. And so as long as you're staying just with yourself, that's awesome. Like you can have these amazing experiences with God, um, but is it going to end with, with you? Um, is there anyone that you're pouring into? Is there anyone that you're leaving a legacy of faith to? So first thing is we have to think generationally. The second thing is identify your Elishas. Identify your Elishas. There is this, there's this concept, Pastor Dwayne, this phrase that he would use when he talked about, uh, when he talks about giving financially. And it's give where you're led, give where you're fed, okay? And I think the same thing applies here when it comes to identifying your Elishas, the people that you're going to pour into, the people that you're going to give time and attention and energy, and that you, you desire to leave a legacy to in the faith, is to give where you're led, because sometimes God will lead you to people, and he'll highlight them to you, and also give where you have to feed them, okay? Uh, your children, the people under your responsibility, the people that you lead on teams or in your life groups, there are people that you have a responsibility to in your life that you don't get the choice. Uh, you have a responsibility to them, to pour into them. Uh, the other group is those who you're led to. And uh, this is when we look at the story of Elijah and Elisha, this is how it started, is Elijah had ran from uh, Jezebel and was in hiding and he was afraid. And in the process of God leading him out of that despair, out of that valley, out of that depression, out of, in that process, part of his healing was God telling him, go and find Elisha and anoint him because he's going he's gonna to follow up after you. Sometimes the way out of these dark seasons is by serving. Uh, It's by pouring into others. And so he goes and he starts pouring into Elisha because he's being obedient to God. There are going to be times in your life where the Lord is going to speak to you, whether that is, uh, whether that's through uh, an unction of the Spirit whether it's through uh, the inner voice, whatever it is, the Lord's going to highlight these people to you to pour into. And it may be for, you know, replacing you at your job, like Elijah, but it may be something small. Um, it, may, it may not be as grand as go and find your, uh, your predecessor. It may be go take them out to coffee or take them to lunch or invite them to your, your life group. It doesn't always have to be these big things. Things like this, identifying your, your Elisha, is how we work to resolve this crisis of fatherlessness. Okay, I'm going to say this in love. 
I almost said but. That's never good to follow something up with a but. But uh, I want to say this in love. It's really easy to look at our society and find all that's wrong with it and float your opinion out on social media. That's easy. The hard thing is to be part of the solution. The good news, though, is that you have opportunities to be part of the solution. This isn't a fix-all, but one of the primary underlying societal issues that we face is fatherlessness. And the same applies with, with mothers as well. It's people that don't have mature adults setting the tone and pouring into them. And we can be part of that solution. It doesn't have to be as intense as this, like you walking by somebody, and because this is how Elijah called Elisha, walked by and threw his cloak on him, and then just kept walking. I mean, it didn't really say anything. Um, so don't try that. That would be a little weird. Uh, the person would probably be like, I'm not the bellboy here. Like, hang up your own jacket. Um, but it could be something as simple as inviting to your life group, going out for coffee. It doesn't have to be this lifelong commitment right out of the gate. It's I'm, I'm going to take time and I'm going to invest it in you. The third thing is to leave an inheritance of faith. It requires proximity. It requires proximity. Uh, unlike the inheritance of wealth, which you could, you could give to somebody that you've never met or spent any time with, uh, to leave an inheritance in the faith requires some proximity, some closeness, which can be annoying. Um, I mean, look at what I just read with Elijah and Elisha, how Elijah is continually saying, hey, I'm going to go over here. And Elisha's like, me too. Like, I'm not leaving your side. I'm right there with you. And Elijah continually tries to ditch him, but he can't get rid of him. And sometimes, anyone have anyone in your life that it's hard to ditch? Okay. Sometimes that's an opportunity to give an inheritance. Okay. Although it can be annoying at times, it could be an opportunity to leave an inheritance, to pour into them because they're, they're looking for something, searching for something. Um, and you also, the reason why it requires proximity is because you can't force it. You can't just will it to somebody. Uh, it has to be modeled. Faith, because I, I want to live a life of faith that's worth following. And I can't just be absent and then write on some document, hey, I'm giving you this life of faith. There you go. It has to be modeled. It has to be lived out. Perfectly? No. But it has to be lived out to where they can see it, that they can, uh, they can experience it. And you can't force genuine faith. Uh, Elijah's response to this request was was interesting. So Elisha comes and says, hey, I want this double portion. 
And Elijah's response was, was, okay, well, you've asked for a hard thing. And that's how it often is whenever people are desiring a position of leadership or, or growth. Uh, it's like, you, you probably don't know the pain that's associated with what you're asking, but it's not mine to give, is basically Elijah's response. He said, if you see me get taken up, then it's yours. If not, then, then I can't give it to you. The point being here is that when it comes to faith, you can't force it and you can't will it. You can't force genuine faith on others. What you can do is you can model it and you can live a life of faith that's worth following, but you can't force it. And so what Elijah's saying to Elisha here is, if you see what happens in the spirit, because this thing isn't gonna be obvious to everyone else, if you see me get taken, that means that you can see in the spirit, which means you're gonna, you got it. You're gonna be just fine. Um, but that's between you and God. I can model it, but it's, it's between you and God. And that's w- one of the things with an inheritance of faith is I'm sure this goes without saying, but I'm still going to say it. Um, Faith isn't something that we can, just because you're a person of faith, doesn't mean your children uh, are going to fall suit. Okay, you can't force it. You can model it and then leave an inheritance. And sometimes inheritances get squandered, which is a sad thing. Sometimes they get built upon. Okay, but that's between them and God. It, it requires proximity though. You have to get close. If you want to leave an inheritance of faith to people, you have to get close to people, which is often incredibly, uh, I don't want to say annoying again, but uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Because people are messy. I know you don't have any mess in your life. I know you're just perfect, but other people, Maybe the person sitting next to you. People are messy. And if you want to have influence in their life, you have to get close. You have to get close. The fourth thing is that with inheritances, your ceiling becomes their floor. Your ceiling becomes their floor. The whole concept of an inheritance is that what took someone their entire life to grow can become someone else's in a moment. So if you were left a million dollars, okay? If someone willed you and you inherited a million dollars back in 1980, we're gonna go to finance class here for a little bit, okay? We got some finance people in the room, they'll like it. Um, But someone were to give you a million dollars in 1980 and you invested the whole thing. You didn't go blow it on whatever people spent money on in 1980. Um, Was disco still a thing? Was that, was disco dead? I know this is terrible. I'm showing my age. I, I don't know what people did for fun in the 80s. I was born in the 80s, which tells you what my parents did for fun in the 80s. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> I'm s- sorry. 
<sighs> Good thing I'm still red in the face from Memorial Weekend because uh, I think my cheeks are rosy. <clears throat> so back to the story, back to the example, okay? Someone left you a million dollars in 1980, okay? You received this inheritance. When you receive or when you give an inheritance, you're giving more than what meets the eye, okay? Because you're not just giving that, you're giving the potential within that. So someone gives you a million dollars, you invest the whole thing. As of last year, it would have been worth $37 million, okay? The point here is that whenever you give something, whenever you sow something, you're not just sowing that one thing, you're sowing the potential that that thing holds. The nature of seeds. When you sow a seed, you're not just sowing that one seed. You're sowing all of the potential that that one seed holds, which could be millions of seeds. And so whether it's big or whether it's small, the little seeds that we sow into the lives of others, we're not just sowing that one thing, we're sowing the potential that that one thing holds. So example, you pour into somebody's marriage that's on the rocks, touch and go, not great. Um, You put time and attention into that marriage. And between your time, your wisdom, uh, and and the Lord's work in their life, it gets nursed back to, to life and to health. So in a way, you have left an inheritance of a healthy marriage. But what you've also done is for their three children, you've left an inheritance for them that now those three children have a home in which mom and dad are both in it. And now mom and dad can take their learnings and say, here are things that we had to work through. Here are things that we had to overcome. Here are things that we learned along the way that now I get to pass on to you. So whether it's in a family setting, whether it's in a, like in a mother or like a father, mother, daughter, son setting, or whether it's in a, uh, a friend setting, the victories that we have get to be shared with others and left as an inheritance. I don't want the victories that I experience in a life of faith to just die with me. I want to take those and share them with my children, with the people that I lead, with the people that I'm in relationship with, so that now they're better equipped and empowered to face the the challenges that they do. So with this point of your ceiling becomes your floor, uh, finish lines become start lines. And now the person behind you not only goes further, but they go further faster than you did. And as with a heart of a mother, again, natural, spiritual, or the heart of a father, this is exciting to you. This is what you, you long for because you're not in competition with your kids. You want to see them go further, faster. You want to see them grow beyond your, your own life and your own faith. And this is the heart of fathers and mothers and why we need this 
in the faith. People not being in competition with one another, but people encouraging one another, pouring into one another. Elijah's last miracle was parting the Jordan River. After he did that, he was taken up. After he was taken up, Elisha's first miracle was parting the Jordan River. Elijah's last miracle became Elisha's first. A a finish line became a start line. This is what an inheritance of faith looks like. Elijah, though his story in one sense ends here, uh, it's not the last mention that we see of Elijah. Uh, In the final verses of your Old Testament, in the Christian New Testament, it ends with Malachi. Uh, The Hebrew Bible is arranged differently, but in the, the Christian Old Testament, the final verses of your Old Testament say this, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The last words are, I'm going to be sending Elijah, and he's going to turn the hearts of fathers to children, and the hearts of children to fathers. And hundreds of years go by, silent, not a word, until an angel shows up in the opening words of Luke's gospel. An angel shows up to an elderly man who he and his wife are childless. His wife is barren. And an angel shows up and says to this man, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him John. And he will come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And he'll turn the hearts of fathers to the children. He'll get the people ready for God. And John grows up and he starts his ministry by heading down to the Jordan River. And in the Jordan River, he proclaims this message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Behold the lamb of, the, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm baptizing you in water, but he's coming and he's gonna baptize you in the Holy Spirit in fire. As we prepare to come to the table, I wanna invite our servers John's message was of repentance, which means turning. That the prophecy was that Elijah would come in such a way that there would be transgenerational healing. That there would be a turning of hearts between generations. hearts of fathers and mothers would turn towards their children. Hearts of sons and daughters would turn to mothers and fathers, that it would no no longer be 
marked by self-absorbed lives, but this relationship and connection between generations would be restored. Jesus said that John was Elijah. And he said, out of all of the prophets, and think of all of the incredible works and miracles that the prophets did. He said, out of all of them, none is greater than John because he got the people ready for God. 